0: Again, that's Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be in verses 16 through 20 this morning. As you'll probably notice when you open up your Bible, this is the last passage in Matthew, which means that we have finally, or once we're done this morning, we've finally completed the Gospel of Matthew. Um, And so this morning we're going to look at this passage in Matthew. What I really want us to do this morning is to avoid the mistake that we as Christians so often make when we get to this point in the Gospel of Matthew. See, everywhere else, in in all the four Gospels, we understand what the purpose of the Gospels are. The Gospels exist to tell us the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we get that. We get that everywhere else. But when we get to the Great Commission, and when people teach the Great Commission, it seems like we forget that. And we think that we come to this point, and then all of a sudden the purpose of the Gospels shift, and it becomes all about us. It's all about us and what we need to do. It's not about Jesus anymore. It's about our task, what we must do for Him. But that's wrong. What we're going to see this morning as we walk through this passage is that just like the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, these verses exist to tell us about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. They don't exist to tell us about who we are and what we need to do. There's some of that there. There are commands that bear on us as His people, but... The primary focus of this passage is about Him, about who He is. And I think once we get that, once we realize who He is, then His commands will actually bear weight upon us. And so let's read this passage this morning, and then we'll walk through it and see that that come out. Again, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Father, we thank You that You sent Your Son into the world. We thank You that You sent Your Spirit to inspire Matthew to write down his account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and all that He accomplished on our behalf and for Your glory. God, we pray that this morning as we look at these last few verses of Matthew's Gospel that You would send Your Spirit to make known to us more of who Your Son is and more of what He's accomplished on our behalf and more of what He promises us as we follow Him. How we pray that You would show us and make clear to us that the Great Commission is not about us. It's about Him. We pray that we would recognize that You have given Your Son all authority. And because of that, He can not only command us to do these things, but He can provide the way and sustain us and empower us as we do the work He's called us to. Jesus, we thank You for these words. We thank You for Your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank You that You reign over all. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. So as I was getting at, the main point of this passage for us this morning that I want us to get is that the Great Commission is not about us. It's about Jesus. It exists to make Him known to us so that through that knowledge we can make Him known to others. And so the first two verses we read, the verses in black, are Matthew giving us the setting of what's going on. He's telling us where they're at, what's going on, so that we know what the context is of these words Jesus is about to to speak to the disciples. He tells us that the eleven disciples, this is the twelve that Jesus called minus Judas because he betrayed him and then killed himself. He's not on this mountain. They go here... Because this is where Jesus told them that He would go. Back in our last passage, when Jesus rose from the dead, He spoke to Mary and the other women and said, Tell my brothers, tell the disciples that I'm going to Galilee. They need to meet me there. This is where He's meeting them. And what's important about this, what we should see in this passage, the first two verses, is how significant it is that they are in Galilee. Significant for two reasons you've been tracking with us as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, you've, you've probably picked up on a subtle difference in how he talks about Galilee versus how he talks about Jerusalem. Galilee is the place where Jesus does ministry from. That's where almost all his ministry in Matthew is focused. It's in Galilee. But Jerusalem, on the other hand, is this place that he must go to. He must go there to suffer and die and rise again. That's The only purpose that Jerusalem really serves in Matthew's Gospel is to be the place of rejection for Jesus. And so this commission, this sending out of His disciples on mission, it doesn't happen in Jerusalem. It happens in the center of ministry up in Galilee. The second reason why it's really important that it's in Galilee is that Galilee was known to most of the Jews. Matthew even calls it this back in chapter 4, Galilee of the Gentiles. It wasn't the Jewish seat of power. That was Jerusalem. Galilee was a place where Jews intermingled with Gentiles. And so it's the perfect place from which to launch this mission that's going to embrace all nations, not just Israel. They're in Galilee. Jesus comes. He appears to them. They see Him. And Matthew tells us, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. They worshipped Him but some doubted. And this is probably surprising to us. Because these are His eleven disciples. They're confronted with the risen Christ. They worship Him, and He tells us that some doubted. And the reason why this is surprising to us, the reason why it's kind of shocking, is because when we think about doubt, we think about something differently than what's going on here. right? If I doubt what, what you say, it means I don't believe you. I think you're lying. I think you're trying to trick me. I'm skeptical of what it is that you're trying to convince me of. But that's not what's going on here. This isn't intellectual doubt. It's not spiritual doubt. Really, it's more like a a practical hesitation. What it is, is, let let me read this so I make it clear. It's like a disorientation produced by an unfamiliar or overwhelming situation. That's what this word conveys. It's like a disorientation. It's being confused by what's going on. And I think that what Matthew is trying to describe to us is what the disciples were feeling when they're confronted by Jesus. See, because all of these guys, all 11 of these guys are Jews. Since they were boys, they would have had drilled in their head the Old Testament. They would have known, without even calling it to mind, that you only worship Yahweh. That's it. There's no other gods that they can worship. And yet they're confronted with Jesus. They see Him in His risen glory, who He is, and they feel compelled to worship Him. But they know they're not supposed to. And they do it anyway. And I think that what we're seeing what this this doubt is that's not like our doubt is them trying to reconcile those two things that seem to contradict each other what they're going to find out what jesus is going to make clear in what he says is that he is absolutely worthy of worship he is on par with yahweh he does have all authority he is lord of heaven and earth and so they are absolutely correct to worship him but they still feel that angst Because they don't know it for sure yet. So they worship him, and then Jesus speaks. And as we look at what he says, I want us to first focus on these these two big statements he makes to them about who he is. It's the first thing he says and the last thing he says. And they're really, they're 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 kind of like bookends on the Great Commission first thing he says, he says he has all authority. And the last thing he says, he says he'll be with them to the end of the age. And before I explain those statements, I want to explain to you what I mean when I say bookends. Personally, if you know me very much, you know that I love books. All of them, really. Well, not all of them. Not the Twilight series. (laughs) And because I love books, I also love bookends. If you don't know what a bookend is, a bookend is something that goes on the end of a row of books. And what does it do? It holds them up. It keeps them from falling over. But what most people don't know is that it does more than that. It doesn't just keep your books from falling down. It it prolongs their life. When I was a seminary student, I had a part-time job in the library as a bindery assistant, which is a fancy word for I did whatever the librarian told me to do. And one of those things, which I really enjoyed, was I got to fix old books. Southern had all these old books in their library, and when one would get broken by some mindless individual who would misuse a wonderful book, they sent it to me, and they trained me how to fix it, and I did. And what I found out... Was that as books sit on the shelves of libraries for a long time, if they're not sitting up straight, because they have bookends around them, they're at an angle. Two things happen. First thing happens is that the cover, which, right, would be these boards, the front and back of books, they bend, they warp. And the other thing that happens is stress is put on the spine of the book, on the binding, and it breaks. And so if you don't have your books, up perfectly straight from bookends they don't only just fall down they also fall apart and so they exist to both hold up the books and sustain and prolong their life and so when i say that these two statements are bookends on the great commission that's exactly what i mean Without the Great Commission, without these two statements, without Jesus saying He has all authority, without Jesus saying that He will be with them and with us till the end of the age, everything in between does not matter at all. It falls down and it falls apart. These two statements matter more than anything else in this passage. So when we look at them, I want us to be thinking about that. This is how important these things are. The first one, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's been given to him by the Father. The Father had all authority. He's passed it on to the Son because of what the Son has done. This is the why of the Great Commission. Why do we go and make disciples and teach them to obey all that He's commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because He said so. Because He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and He told us to. That's why we go. That's why we make disciples. That's why we baptize them. That's why we teach them. Because He said so. And not just that but also if he has all that authority, if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, which he says he does, which the Father gave to him, then he not only has the authority to tell us to do it, he also has the authority to guarantee the success of this mission that he's giving us. So he tells us to do it, and he also has all the authority, all the control, Lord of heaven and earth, to back up this commission that he's giving us. That he's giving his disciples. If he doesn't have this authority, he can't tell them to do it. Well, I mean, he can, but they don't have to listen. But more importantly than that, if he doesn't have this authority, then as these 11 guys, as The 11 guys that come after them as all the followers of Jesus throughout the history of the world, including us, as we seek to complete this mission that He's given us. If He doesn't have this authority, we're on our own in it. And we'll fail. Absolutely without question. What's in between falls down and falls apart if this statement isn't here. The second one at the end. The end of verse twenty. Behold remember when Matthew says behold, he's telling us that something's coming that's going to be surprising. I am with you always to the end of the age, even though Jesus is going to live, leave them, he promises that his presence will be with them forever. To the end of the age. Until he returns, he is going to be with his disciples on this mission. This is the the how of the Great Commission. Why is because He has authority. How is because He will be with us. If He's not with us, if He doesn't empower us and sustain us on this mission, we cannot do what He's called us to do. He promises that He'll always be with them. Off the top of my head, I haven't researched this, I haven't looked at this, I can think of two places in Scripture, in the New Testament, where Jesus unequivocally promises His presence with His disciples. The first is when He says, wherever two or three are gathered in My name, there I will be among them. And then here, right here, Matthew 28.20, He says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. So I think that means if we want to be in His presence, if we want to experience His presence, if we want to be with Him, then there are two clear options to do so. Number one, we can always be in a group of two or three people gathered together in Jesus' name for the purpose of doing what He's called us to do. Or we can be living our lives on the mission that He's called us to. And really, that's almost completely the opposite of what most of us do. Most of us sit at home on our butts and whine about how God isn't with us. I just can't feel him. I can't experience him. I want him to be near. He says, I'll be with you out there. I'll be with you on this mission. Always, to the end of the age. So if you're someone who doesn't experience God's presence, you should ask yourself, am I on His mission? Because maybe you don't experience His presence because you're not on His mission. You're not where He's promised He would meet you. He promises to be with us, to both sustain us on this mission and empower us in it. But the important qualifier that we can't miss is that these things happen on mission. They don't happen somewhere else. So we've got the why. We do it because He said and because He has the goods to back it up. And the way we do it is by doing it in His presence, through His sustaining and empowering presence. And everything else comes in between those two things. Everything else is dependent on those two things. Without those two things, it falls down and it falls apart, and this task will fail. He tells us what the task is in verse 19. He says, Go therefore, because he has all this authority, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Before we talk about the commands, I want us to recognize that even here, even in the midst of these commands, it's still telling us about who Jesus is. First, he tells us to baptize people in whose name? The name of the Father, the Son, that's him, in the Holy Spirit, he puts himself in a very clear way on the same level as the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is saying to them in no uncertain terms, I am God. Baptize people in my name. Don't just baptize people in his name, baptize people in the name of Jesus. And he also says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. He doesn't say, teach them what Moses said. He doesn't say, teach them the Old Testament. He doesn't say, teach them the commands of God. He says, teach them My commands. Even as he's telling them what to do, he's telling them about himself. He is God. And that's why they should do these things. So he says, go. Don't want us to make too much out of this. This doesn't mean that we all have to go overseas. I think what this means in this passage in the context is that the disciples have to leave the mountain. Because they're the only ones up there. They can't make any disciples there because it's just them. So they've got to go down from the mountain to where the people are so that they can make disciples, like he said. I think for us, it means we need to go where we can make disciples. Outside of our homes. Sharing the Gospel and discipling your children is a very, very good thing. We should all do that as Christian parents. But that's not fulfilling the Great Commission. We need to leave where we're at. Go outside of our social circles and our comfort zones outside of what we normally do for the purpose of making disciples. That's what this going is. Go somewhere. He says, make disciples. This is key. Make disciples. Remember, they had to go down from the mountain because they were all already disciples. You don't see Peter going over and grabbing Thomas and saying, hey buddy, You clearly have issues with doubting. Let's start meeting together once a week, and then we'll be doing what Jesus said. I'll be discipling you, and then I can check that box and feel good about myself. That's not what Jesus has in mind. That is Christian discipleship. That is absolutely a good thing to do. People that are further along in the faith should disciple people that aren't as far along in the faith. But that is not making disciples. Making disciples is taking someone who is not a disciple and getting them to the place where they are a disciple. That's why these guys had to leave the mountain to do it, because they were all already disciples. And so, if you're discipling Christians, great job. Keep it up. But don't say you're making disciples. You only make disciples when people go from light to darkness, from death to life, from not being a disciple to being a disciple. That's fulfilling the Great Commission. And that's what He calls us to do. And the way we do that, there's two things He says. Number one, we baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. doesn't say exactly how we baptize them. He doesn't say it has to be in a church. He doesn't say it has to be a pastor that baptizes them. All of those things might be good. We can talk about those if you want, but we're not going to do it right now. The simple thing is here, people are baptized into the name of Christ and the Trinity. This makes it if you didn't believe me before that these are people who weren't disciples that become disciples, they're baptized. Not like Peter baptized Thomas. Thomas was already baptized. There's no such thing as re-baptism. And they're supposed to teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Everything that Jesus said It's not that the Old Testament doesn't matter, but the Old Testament only matters in light of what Jesus said about it. It's what He says that's important now. That's what we teach people. That's what we urge people to obey. And obviously the rest of the New Testament is based upon Jesus' teaching. It's Paul doing the Great Commission. That's Paul teaching us all that Jesus commanded. And right here, there are some people, even though it might seem kind of silly to us, there are some people that say the Great Commission only really applies to these first 11 guys. It's not fair for us to think that we need to do what they did. It only applies to them, maybe missionaries, maybe apostles, maybe pastors, but not normal Christians, not us just applies to them. The problem with that is exactly what Jesus says right here. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. True or false? The Great Commission is one of the things that Jesus commanded. True. That's one of the things that He says... Teach them. So Peter goes down from the mountain. Peter makes a disciple. Peter teaches the disciple everything that Jesus commanded, including the Great Commission. That guy goes out and that guy makes a disciple. And somewhere along the way, someone that was made a disciple by someone else came into our lives and made us disciples. It might have been our parents, it might have been our pastor, it might have been some guy on the street they did these things because Jesus told them to and so this morning when we think about our responsibility with this commission i'm not going to tell you to do it because i don't have all authority In heaven and on earth. The only authority that I have is entrusted to me by Him. And the reality is, is that if we're not going to listen to Him, if we're not going to do what He says to do because He says to do it, it doesn't matter who tells us to do it. We don't need someone else to tell us to go out and make disciples. What we need is for the Holy Spirit to make it absolutely, positively clear to us that Jesus does have this authority that he claims to have and he has every right to tell us to do these things. If we're not going to listen to him, we're not going to listen to anyone. If his word isn't enough to compel us to do what he's asked of us, no one else's is. I think that when the Spirit does that work in us, I think we'll realize that the Great Commission isn't some empty, lifeless command that's tacked on at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It is this glorious invitation from our God that we get to participate in with Him. And before you think, I agree, ask yourself, when was the last time, when was the last time God used you? And to be honest, this question is absolutely convicting for me. When was the last time God used you to be the human instrument to make someone a disciple? The answer to that question tells us not whether or not we've obeyed Jesus' command. It tells us how much we value Him. How highly we view Him. How much authority we think He really has. Whether we believe His promise that He will meet us there. Our faith is directly proportionate to our obedience. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You that You don't give us lifeless commands that are just empty words for us to do or not do. That You don't pass down a checklist through the generations that we have to meet but that instead you have all authority. You have both the authority to tell us what to do and the authority to control everything in front of us. You know what happened yesterday. You know what happened today. You know what will happen tomorrow until the end of time. And You are shaping and working all of it for Your glory and for our good. We thank You that we don't have to do Your work on our own. Spirit, we pray that You would help us to value Jesus as we ought. That You would help us to recognize that we make His disciples by baptizing them in His name, by teaching them His commands under His authority and in His presence. These words are not about us. Help us to follow You on mission recognizing the reality of who Jesus is and what He's done for us instead of focusing on how important we think we are and what we do. As we move now to take the Lord's Supper, pray that You would remind us again of the great grace we've been shown in Christ and through His sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus, in Your name we pray. Amen.